All too often when we read the childhood stories of Jesus, we fail to include the story I would like to look at today. I'm not sure why we fail to include it. It is a one-of-a-kind story. Uh, it's the only place in the Bible that deals with the time between Jesus' cradle moments and his ministry years. And so today I'd like to think about that part of Jesus' lifetime. It was a glorious time to be alive. Certainly Jesus felt more alive than he had ever felt at any point in his life until this moment. He would be heeding the call to come celebrate Passover for the very first time. Now you will remember that Passover was that glorious deliverance that God had orchestrated for his people, removing them from the oppressive hand of the Egyptians. There was this particular night, right, when the angel would go by, house by house, looking for blood sprinkled on the doorpost. And if the blood was found, the firstborn child would be spared. Jesus, you'll recall, was a firstborn child. And so he was drawing these connections in his mind as he was thinking about this glorious moment when he would heed the call to come celebrate Passover. That call began to go out throughout the land of Israel. And Jesus would be making this journey to celebrate this occasion. His first time. He was so stoked. Roads had been repaired so that those who were traveling could be kept safe. Wells were, you know, taken care of to make sure that they would get the water they needed so their animals would be well watered as well. Cities along the way stocked them their businesses with extra provisions, for certainly there would be some people who would run out, who would not have prepared enough, or who could not prepare enough, and they would need to make various purchases in order to make it safely to Jerusalem. The various services in the big city and at the temple, of course, were varied. They were very exciting to see, and Jesus was seeing them for the very first time, as any excited child would be. Jesus' life, though, had taken on new meaning. He'd hit that age, 12 years, and he was now in a position to attend this Passover. In fact, not only had he longed for this moment, he knew that he was expected, that God himself had said in the scriptures that Men should attend the Passover, and he qualified to go. Not only did he want to attend, he was expected to attend, and attend he did. It was springtime, and the flowers were out. And with the flowers came a fragrance, right? A beautiful smell. And with that beautiful smell was also the lovely sound of birds, doing their thing, making music. And so it was pleasant traveling, springtime, warm area of the world, flowers out, birds singing, Jesus with all these people traveling, 
on their way to Jerusalem, all making the journey so much more pleasant. Well, with a great deal of excitement, Jesus left with his parents on their three-day trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem. Now, if we were looking at, and I'll have to check and see whether I can pull this off. Let's try green. So you could go down two routes. You could either take this route down, right, to Jerusalem, or you could take this other route to Jerusalem. Now, one of those ways, you know, both of them would get you there. One of those ways people preferred, especially those people who had a thing against the Samaritans. You see, you could avoid entirely uh, Jacob's well, right? You could avoid that area if you went down one route. I hope Jesus' family didn't choose that. I actually don't know, so I can't tell. But you could get there several ways. No matter how you traveled, no matter how you traveled, you would be enjoying the company of many people. You would not be alone. They usually gathered together in caravans because there is safety in numbers. And, of course, it's a lot more fun, right, to travel with other people. And I want you to know not only was the journey long, three days is a long time to be on foot for the most part, but it was also mostly uphill because Jerusalem sits on Mount Zion, right? And so you're traveling uphill to get there. It was long, but Jesus was with family and friends. And it was a holiday, right? And as Jesus walked, his mind began to replay the scriptures, the things that he would see. That portion of the Bible that you and I rarely read, right? We're talking about the sanctuary services, the stuff that has all those the different sacrificial parts and uh, all the furniture and all that kind of thing. Unless you're keenly interested in those kinds of things, most of us just avoid that part of the Bible. All so many details, right? Jesus was keenly interested and seeing these services worked out before his very eyes. And seeing for himself the temple services for the very first time. Many people from many countries joined their group. And from many areas of Palestine as well. The, the travelers would begin to flow together, and the group would increase in size and size and size, just getting bigger and bigger as they would make their way. And it just made for so many happy moments. You would meet old friends. You would meet new friends. It was a great time. And, of course, traveling for three days, you had to take care of certain people. And so uh, women who were maybe with child, uh, pregnant, uh, or perhaps they had a baby on the lap, they would maybe ride on a donkey, and old men and old women would ride in ox-driven carts, and uh, there would be shouted messages back and forth, and then those who were strong enough would simply walk. And they would make, by the way, about 20 miles a day, which seems like a lot to us, but they were used to walking. They were not like us. We are not used to walking 20 miles a day, right? Yeah, they would uh, make pretty good time. And along the trip, there would be these spots made famous in the past because of what God might have done there. 
for some individuals. God had done various things for the nation as a whole. And so they would retell these stories, especially to the children, about what God had done and the famous people that had lived there. And so it was a very exciting three days of journeying. And when they would finally see Jerusalem, you know, up on the mount, when they'd finally see Jerusalem, they would begin to sing this song and they would sing it over and over until they actually walked in the gates. Would you read it with me? Psalm 122, verses 2 through 7. Read with me. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord, as the law requires of Israel. Here stand the thrones where judgment is given, the thrones of the dynasty of David. Pray for peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. They would sing this song until they walked in the gates together. The temple choirs could be heard singing their hearts out. And Jesus' heart flowed heavenward as he listened. The offering of the red heifer captured his mind. It was like eye-opening. It was so grand and so deep in meaning. The services were beautiful. But to the mind of Jesus, they were also filled with incredibly deep, deep meaning. Deep meaning for him. The payment of the temple tax especially the sacrifice of the Passover lamb and its, its later roasting, these things captured his attention. His family told again the Exodus story about how Israel fled from Egypt under God's direction and protection. And as they ate that roasted lamb, Jesus was thinking. Songs of praise lifted from all of the rooftops of Jerusalem. And everywhere there was a Seder meal, and it was shared with many people. Jesus' young mind took it in. He took it all in. He took it in more than anyone had ever done to this moment. Jesus absorbed it all. And then, when Passover was finished, there were seven more glorious days, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Oh, what a time it was. Before leaving home, the Jewish travelers had celebrated the early moments of harvest. And they had brought with them the first sheaves of the barley harvest that they could offer to God in thanks for a great new harvest. 
and mixed with frankincense and oil, it would be waved, as it were, that's what they called, waved before God, thanking him for his generosity. And Jesus took it in. As he watched these glorious services for the first time, Jesus felt his mind expanding. It was like he was searching through the universe. It was like his mind was expanding faster than the speed of light. All these things he saw for the very first time, all these things he thought represent me. They represent me. The great problem that he had been studying as he had read the scriptures at home, he was working it out in his mind. And he could see more clearly than ever that he had a mission, that he had a destiny. And oh, how he wanted to grab it, to seize it, to live it. Not wanting to have all these thoughts and impressions erased by mingling with the crowds on the way home, Jesus sought to be alone where he could think and pray. But after the festival was over, Joseph and Mary, they had just started the trek back home. The country, of course, was very populated. The caravan was very large. And uh, they were traveling away from Jerusalem at a pretty good clip. The pleasure of being with their friends and, uh, you know, old-time friends, newfound friends, that absorbed their attention. And they did not miss the helpful hands of Jesus as they traveled until they stopped for the night. You see, Jesus had always anticipated their wants and their needs. He had always known about when they would stop, and so he would begin to gather firewood, and he would uh, think about where they were going to camp and how he could make his mom most comfortable. They were used to that from him. And now, where was he? He was strangely absent. They began to look through their very large group, which took quite some time. They could not find him. And then they began to shake with dread, for they remembered how Herod had tried to kill him when he was just a baby. And they wondered, is our boy even alive? Guilt beat them up as they searched and searched for Jesus, calling his name. Guilt beat them up. Why did we not do more to ensure his safety? They hustled back to the big city, and they began retracing their steps. I'm sure many of you know what that is like, right? When you lose your keys, when you lose your your smartphone, when you lose your child at various times, right? You began to retrace your steps. They retraced theirs through the big city of Jerusalem, looking for their son. With anxious hearts, dread weighing them down. They tried to recall the many places that they had taken him to. 
And finally, finally, it was like relief big time. They heard his familiar voice, so very serious, and yet so deeply interested, speaking, talking, asking questions, giving answers. His was the voice that was filled with melody, the beautiful voice of Jesus. They heard it. Where was he? They looked, gently pressed their way through the crowd. Jesus' parents, in visiting Jerusalem with him, had hoped to bring their son into closer contact with the great teachers of Israel. He had not shown a tremendous interest in doing so before, but in this visit they had hoped that maybe, maybe he just might line up with those people who have been teaching Israel for years, and he would become somewhat like them. But instead, their little boy had been taught by God himself. And what Jesus received, he immediately shared. The day Jesus' parents had left for home, he had discovered a part of the temple that was used as a school. Here, the greatest Jewish teachers ever were with students, and they were engaged in this back-and-forth kind of questioning and answering that happens in Judaism still to this day, where students and teachers both get to ask questions and give answers. And to these great teachers, Jesus presented himself as a child eagerly wanting to learn, especially a knowledge of God. His questions, though, contained deep truths that had been ignored by these great men for a long time. And with every question of Jesus, a godly lesson, a lesson of the deepest truth was delivered. It was placed there for the great teachers to think about. And had they followed the things that Jesus asked them about, there would have been a huge and great reformation taking place in the country. And by the time Jesus would begin work as the Messiah, many people would have received him had they just followed up on this boy's questions and comments. But Jesus' parents, having now joined the group of listeners who were amazed at Jesus, they were more than amazed, they were astonished at the depth of his questions and the depth of his answers. His freedom in speaking with people they considered his betters. You see, all the years that they had been raising Jesus, somehow they had forgotten that he was God in the flesh. He had been so much like other boys in so many different ways, they had simply forgotten. And when they had him all by himself, happy as they were to have him finally with them, their guilt, as it often does, came out in anger, in criticism towards Jesus. They took out their pain and their anxiety on him. And with critical words, his mother said, Son, why have you done this to us? We've been frantic, searching for you everywhere. 
But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. And so Jesus pointed upward. Knowing for the first time in his life that Joseph was not his father. God was. And divinity flashed through his face, his human face. Jesus now knew that he was God. His lessons contained a gentle lesson, I think. His words contained a gentle lesson for his parents. Jesus, you know, had been in the temple doing his father's business. He was doing the work that God wanted him to do. But Joseph and Mary had neglected the work that God had entrusted them with. The protection of his one and only son. For an entire day they had lost sight of Jesus. When they should have never lost sight of him for even a moment. You know, it's, it's a sad fact of life that when you lose sight of Jesus for even one day, it may take you several days to find him. I know this all too well in my own life. Do you? Yet with these gentle yet penetrating questions, Jesus drilled down, making it clear once again that God is in no way responsible for the origin or development of evil. Jesus' parents, relieved, you know, at finding him, had cast all of the blame on him instead of finding fault with themselves. Jesus had godly expectations. You should have known, he said that I would be about my father's business. You could have known, he gently said. These things make it clear that God is not responsible for the rise and continuance of evil. But Jesus' words also showed that he now understood for the very first time that he was God's son, and he had a mission. You see, before his birth, the angel had said to Mary, He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord shall give to him the throne of his ancestor David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And here, in making this claim that God was his father, he cut formal ties, as it were, with Joseph as his blood relative. But lest you think that such knowledge would make this young boy, you know, like super proud and even arrogant, no, such knowledge actually drew him closer to his parents, closer to other human beings in general. Such knowledge made him incredibly humble, which is why Jesus grew in wisdom 
and in stature and in favor with God and all of the people. The knowledge that he was God actually made Jesus sweeter, kinder, more winsome, if that were possible. And so he grew in favor with God and with everyone he ever met. The wisdom that God gave Jesus, of course, is the capacity to see connections and make decisions that are fully in tune with God's will. Such wisdom is always God-given. Do you have it? Do you want it? Is it yours because God has given it to you? God wants to give it to you. It would be good for all of us to spend a thoughtful hour each day thinking about the life of Jesus, especially the final week of his life. Let our imagination grasp each little part, especially the final week of Jesus' life, but never ignoring the early portions as well. The first parts of Jesus' life, his infancy and childhood, they too are worth our deepest contemplation, our best imagination. Is this how you and I are spending our time? Contemplating, imagining the life of Jesus day by day? Or have you, like his parents, lost sight of him? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for giving us Jesus. Thank you that we have his life shown to us in the Gospels, that we know who you are and what kind of person you are because he came and showed us what you are like. Father God, we confess today that we have often lost sight of Jesus. And we want to find him again. We want to be found by you. We want to be taught, to be given wisdom as Jesus was from you. Father God, work in our hearts and help us to spend time this season and all next year Spend time contemplating the life of Jesus. Bless us to that end, we pray in Jesus.